Our scripture reading today comes from 2 Kings, the 2nd chapter, verses 1 through 14, and that's found on page 359 in the Bible, in the Pew Rack, page 359. When the Lord was about to take Elijah up to heaven in a whirlwind, Elijah and Elisha were on their way from Gilgal. Elijah said to Elisha, Stay here, the Lord has sent me to Bethel. But Elisha said, As surely as the Lord lives and as you live, I will not leave you. So they went down to Bethel. The company of the prophets at Bethel came out to Elisha and said, Do you know that the Lord is going to take your master from you today? Yes, I know, Elisha replied, but do not speak of it. Then Elijah said to him, Stay here, Elisha, the Lord has sent me to Jericho. And he replied, As surely as the Lord lives, and as you live, I will not leave you. So they went to Jericho. The company of the prophets at Jericho went up to Elisha and asked him, Do you know that the Lord is going to take your master from you today? Yes, I know, he replied, but do not speak of it. Then Elijah said to him, Stay here, the Lord has sent me to the Jordan. And he replied, as surely as the Lord lives, and as you live, I will not leave you. So the two of them walked on. Fifty men of the company of the prophets went and stood at a distance, facing the place where Elijah and Elisha had stopped at the Jordan. Elijah took his cloak, rolled it up, and struck the water with it. The water divided to the right and to the left, and the two of them crossed over on dry ground. When they had crossed, Elijah said to Elisha, Tell me what I can do for you before I am taken from you. Let me inherit a double portion of your spirit, spirit, Elisha replied. You have asked a difficult thing, Elijah said. Yet, if you see me when I am taken from you, it will be yours. Otherwise not. As they were walking along and talking together, suddenly a chariot of fire and horses of fire appeared and separated the two of them, and Elijah went up to heaven in a whirlwind. Elisha saw this and cried out, My father, my father, the chariots and horsemen of Israel. And Elisha saw him no more. Then he took hold of his own clothes and tore them apart. He picked up the cloak that had fallen from Elijah and went back and stood on the bank of the Jordan. Then he took the cloak that had fallen from him and struck the water with it. Where now is the Lord, the God of Elijah, he asked. When he struck the water, it divided to the right and to the left, and he crossed over. Thank you, Jenny. We have such good readers in our church. That was excellently, excellently read. Thank you. And uh, isn't that a touching story? You know, Elijah and Elisha, two bosom buddies, and don't you know the Lord's going to take your master from you today? Don't, let's not talk about it. Let's not talk about it. And then this close uh, connection and really passing the mantle, right? Passing the mantle from one person to the other and this ability then of that cloak to, or really the God's power, to then do the exact same miracle that Elijah had just performed and go back over, uh, back through the Jordan River as dry land came again. 
But today is about um, farewells and goodbyes. And does the Bible have something to say about saying goodbye well? And we're going to look at that. And that part of the context of this is the final part of 2 Timothy. is chapter 4, verses 6 through 8, and 16 through 18. But I, I have in my mind that I'd just like to read it all. So it'll actually be chapter 4, verse 6 through verse 18. And that's on um, near page 1179 of your sanctuary Bible. 1180, page 1180 of the Bible in front of you if you want to follow along there. So again, a little bit of background about 2 Timothy. This is the last letter we think that the Apostle Paul wrote. He wrote it from prison. What we know about prisons at that time is that they were, uh, much like they were even in medieval times, they were terrible places where disease was rampant and it was almost like a death sentence to be put in, into chains because sanitation was horrible and you had to rely on other people for your, for your food and other things to take care of you. And so uh, Paul really literally felt like his life was being poured out, as we'll see in our reading today. And so he took the occasion probably maybe to dictate this letter to somebody else because he was in chains. But nonetheless, it was sent to Timothy in Ephesus. And it was all about keeping the gospel so that he could preach it in its fullness and its correctness to other people, to be able to be sure that he could endure. And Paul was passing the mantle of his leadership on to Timothy, much like Elijah passed on the mantle to Elisha. Very similar. And um, as we'll see, uh, there's these personal notes that we're going to read today that Paul uh, tenderly sends on to Timothy in this letter. So pay attention especially today, to how Paul is saying goodbye. How does he say goodbye to Timothy? And it strikes me that we don't like saying goodbye very much. Or we're also not very good at saying goodbye well. There's something about it that I think the Bible actually has for us. And so that was where I wanted to go today, was while this is really the end of 2 Timothy, it opened up to me this whole idea of how are goodbyes said in Scripture? How, do, how does Scripture handle this parting of ways? And, and what I found was that there's this missional quality to it. When God has people saying goodbye to, to each other, there's an ending of one part, but there's this opening and beginning of all sorts of new things that God is about. And so we're going to see that today. So pay attention to how Paul, as we read how Paul says goodbye and in what manner he says goodbye to his son, his spiritual son, Timothy. So with that introduction, let's go to our reading, 2 Timothy chapter 4, verse 6. Paul writes, For I am already being poured out like a drink offering, and the time for my departure is near. I have fought the good fight. I have finished the race. I have kept the faith. Now there is in store for me the crown of righteousness, which the Lord, the righteous judge, will award to me on that day, and not only to me, but also to all who have longed for his appearing. Do your best to come to me quickly. For Demas, because he loved this world, has deserted me and has gone to Thessalonica. Crescens has gone to Galatia and Titus to Dalmatia. Only Luke is with me. Get Mark and bring him with you because he is helpful to me in my ministry. 
I sent Tychicus to Ephesus. When you come, bring the cloak that I left with Carpus at Troas, and my scrolls, especially the parchments. Alexander, the metal worker, did me a great deal of harm. The Lord will repay him for what he has done. You too should be on your guard against him because he strongly opposed our message. At my first defense, no one came to my support, but everyone deserted me. May it not be held against them. But the Lord stood at my side and gave me strength so that through me the message might be fully proclaimed and all the Gentiles might hear it. And I was delivered from the lion's mouth. The Lord will rescue me from every evil attack and will bring me safely to his heavenly kingdom. To him be glory forever and ever. Amen. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you for your word. And we ask that you would add your blessing to it. In Jesus' name, amen. Well, this is about goodbye, so uh, I wanted to check in on what the word goodbye means. Any linguists out there? Any etymologists? We have a lot of entomologists in my house right now, but not a lot of etymologists. Do you know, anyone know what goodbye means? Yes, it's a contraction of God be with ye. So it's kind of like ye old choppy, you know. God be with ye, that's been shortened to goodbye. Did you know that our culture is always talking about God even when it thinks it isn't? How many atheists say goodbye to each other? It's hilarious. Don't they know what they're doing? They're actually saying, God be with ye. Uh, An atheist who knows this will probably come up with a different way of saying goodbye, right? Or maybe it doesn't mean God be with ye anymore. Did you know that this is similar to the Spanish adios? Adios is a shortening of adios vos acomiendo. I commend you to God. So adios means with God or I commend you to God, towards God. And um, when I was young, we had to learn German because my family moved to Austria for two years. And so in German, they say auf Wiedersehen. Auf Wiedersehen, which means upon seeing you again, which is actually different. I'm going to kind of parse these things that are a little differently. On seeing you again, and the French au revoir is also that, on re-seeing you, seeing you again. But the French also have something that's like adios. They say adieu, which also means I commend you to God's care. So it strikes me that some goodbyes are permanent, and some goodbyes are kind of cyclical. So the German, Auf Wiedersehen, that's like, I'll see you again. So it's not really goodbye. It's like, hey, until next time. That's how we would say it. Uh, Whereas our goodbye is kind of open-ended, like, hmm, God be with you. God be with you. Until we meet again, maybe. Until, maybe not. We don't know. Uh, The word, the English word that we use when we're really saying goodbye to somebody for good, I think is farewell. Because it's like, you fare well, and you fare that way, and I'll fare this way. And our fares may not, you know, touch again. That, to me, has a more permanent sound. So I want to look at goodbyes a little bit from the scriptures and, and uh, think about how we say goodbye. Think about how we receive goodbyes from other people. And I, honestly, I have to say I hate goodbyes. I don't like goodbyes especially the more permanent. I don't like farewells. Uh, I like adios. I like Auf Wiedersehen, but I don't like farewell. 
because um, it's easier when I know that I'm going to see somebody. When I know I'm going to see somebody again, that's easier, right? That makes sense. But, and, and maybe you've had this feeling that, have you ever said goodbye to somebody and you had just this sense that either you knew it or you had this sense that this is the last time I'm going to see them? You know what I'm talking about? Like, I'm just not going to, our paths are not going to cross again in this life. And you have that sense. And whether it's because they're ill or they live somewhere else that I'm not really likely to go there again. Um, one example for me and my family is after my mother died two years ago, we have some acquaintances, friends in Tucson, but no other relatives in Tucson, Arizona. And so there's not a lot of reason for me right now at this stage of my life to go back to Tucson. I might go back for my, I guess, oh, this is sad. I'm going to be like, like 30th high school reunion will be in the spring. So maybe I'll go back. Yeah, that's nothing, right? Yeah, that's nothing. 30 years. Be interesting. Uh, so maybe I will go to Tucson again for that. But maybe not, because maybe it's not, you know, in, my, in the whole grand economy of the Nelson family, it may not really be worth my time or energy or something like that. It depends on how connected you are to some of these people. But you get the sense sometimes when you say goodbye to somebody um, that, that, you know, it, this may be the last time. And I had that feeling when I was young. There was a, a fifth cousin. It sounds strange, but he was close to us. A fifth cousin. His name was Orville. And Orville came by, and there was something about Orville that day. And I, even as a 12-year-old, I, I said to myself, I don't know if I'm going to see Orville again. We had seen him so much, but that day I just thought, and, and it was really, it was probably because he was ill. And, and something in my 12-year-old mind could pick up on the fact that he wasn't well. Although we didn't talk about that. And then a few months later, my mom said, Orville, Orville died. You know, that was the last time we saw him. And we're not going to see him again. So that was a farewell. Uh, we didn't realize it. We said goodbye, but it was really a farewell. So what we have here in, in 2 Timothy, the whole letter actually is a kind of a goodbye. The whole premise of this is, I'm leaving, and I may not see you again. I'm asking you to come see me, but you may not get here in time. And in the meantime, I have to download to you all this important stuff. It's about the word. It's about enduring and hardship. It's about keeping the ministry going. It's about uh, you know, fighting against false teaching and false doctrines and being firm in, in the Lord and listening to Scripture. So there's, there's a lot of farewell things. And you notice right here at the end, all the sort of the personal things come up. You know, a lot of farewell type of language. Like, I left my jacket in Troy. That's what Troas is. That's that city of Troy. I left my jacket in Troy. Can you, it's on the way, you know, maybe it's a little bit out of your way. So could you grab my jacket? And, and some of my papers are there too. And, and bring all that stuff with you. If you're, if, if you're coming, you know, just pick that stuff up on the way here. Um, and one thing is we don't know how long it, it took for this letter that Paul wrote to get to Timothy. It was not that far away. It was from Italy to Greece, not that far. And they certainly had a good system there. They had Roman roads, and they had a pretty good mail delivery system. So uh, it wasn't like email, but it, it was, and it wasn't like the U.S. Postal Service, where sometimes it gets there the next day, it seems like. It could probably be a couple weeks. But then Timothy would have had to come send a letter back saying, oh, I'm on my way, you know, and then he'd have to start this journey and find his way there. And so we don't know uh, if Timothy sent a letter back saying, I'm coming. 
And we don't know even if Timothy made the trip. We don't know if he came. And we don't know if, even if he did come, did he get there in time, right? To actually see Paul before Paul was, as he said, poured out like a drink offering. And so there's this chance, this possibility that this really is the goodbye. And there's no later goodbye. There, this is not Alf Vieter saying that this is farewell between Paul and Timothy, and it's in written form. So we have our hands on it. And um, one thing I've noticed is that for some of the really important goodbyes in the Bible, they, they tend to be so full of emotion and what feels like finality. But like I said, at the same time, while they're an ending of something, they're actually the beginning of something else. And that's how this goodbye is, which is the, the whole letter, right? Is I'm being poured out. There's only, imagine like he's, he's doing this. I'm being poured out. My life is like the contents of this cup and it's being poured out. And there's only so much of me left in here. And nothing else is being poured into me. This is only going in one direction, out. And before long, this whole cup will be empty. And so I have to write you this letter now. And if I keep pouring at this rate, it'll be empty in a short time. But even though I'm being poured out, the work of God continues, and the gospel is still going to go out into the world through you, through Timothy. So there's an ending to my life, but a beginning to your ministry, and a beginning to what I want you to do and what God wants you to do in this world, and it has to do with enduring hardship, and it has to do with being true to the gospel, and all these warnings and reminders and commissionings and charges and oaths that Paul is making towards Timothy. You are up to this challenge. You will be tested, but the word and the gospel will keep you safe, and you're going to be okay. So I'm commissioning you, and I'm passing the mantle to you. So something ends, but at the same time, something really beautiful begins. And this is how I think God does goodbye in the Bible. I want to give you some examples. I went looking, and I found uh, that a lot of the Bibles, are a lot of the goodbyes in the Bible are like this. The beginning of new things, even though some old things are ending. And I want to go back to the very first goodbye. Genesis 3. Think about who's saying goodbye to who. Adam and Eve are saying goodbye to the garden. Right? There's a flaming sword that's gardening, uh, guarding the entrance back into the garden. God has sort of ushered them out of the garden. They sinned. They, they had to be punished by God. Their way back was blocked. And a curse was pronounced on them. Talk about the ending. There's a certain amount of intimacy in that relationship between Adam and Eve and God that came to an end, where God would walk amongst them and talk to them in person and all of that stuff. That was gone. That changed. That ended. And... and what began was not only a curse, so God, you're going to have to work hard to make your living from the earth. There's going to be a lot of challenges in this world. There's going to be enmity between you and the serpent all through the generations. And yet, that ending of relationship and of safety in the garden also comes with a promise. The promise is that the serpent would finally be dealt with and God would redeem his people. So God can't leave a farewell as a farewell. God turns a farewell into an Alf saying. He turns it into something that has hope. There's an ending of something, but there's a beginning of something new. That is this redemptive thing that's all throughout the rest of the Bible. So you could almost, if you want to, you could divide the Bible into two parts. A very, very, very short part at the beginning of three chapters and the whole rest of the Bible. 
right? Where God deals with his people in one way, and that comes to an end. And yet the whole rest of it is God continuing to love his people and redeem them and chart the course for their redemption, and it involves the defeat of the one who caused all the trouble in the first place. And that's a word of hope. So in the midst of darkness and brokenness and dead ends and goodbyes, God has an Alphiter saying, an au revoir, that says, I'm going to keep with you. I'm going to stick with you. This is the beginning of something new. It's going to be hard, but I'm going to do it with you. Okay. I'm excited about this. Think about Hannah and Samuel. Do you all remember this story? It's in chapter, uh, 1 Samuel chapter 1, and um, you can read about it at home. You might want to take notes. First chapter, uh, 1 Samuel 1, Hannah is this woman who has infertility. She cries to God and prays earnestly that God would give her a child, and God finally does give her a child, so that's, the, that's a, a, an answered prayer for her, but yet she's willing to say goodbye to her child. Did you know that? Her child was Samuel, by the way. She takes him to Eli, who was the high priest, the priest, and said, I'm going to consecrate this child that you gave me and put him into the Lord's service. And she would come and see him every now and then, but really it was kind of a goodbye. I'm going to let somebody else have this child. I'm going to let the Lord have this child. And so this is what it says in 1 Samuel. I'm going to read two verses of it, 27 and 28. I prayed for this child, and the Lord has granted me what I asked of him. So now I give him to the Lord. For his whole life, he will be given over to the Lord. Can you imagine saying goodbye to your child? Like that? I mean, we will not accept your child. I mean, if you want to bring your child to the church, uh, we will not accept your child, okay? You have to raise your own child. We don't do that here. But in that case, it worked out, okay? So she took this baby, this young child, to Eli and said, I'm giving him over for service to the Lord. He was a gift to me from God. I didn't think I was going to get him. I was so happy to get him, and yet... I can say goodbye to him. And so that was the end of any kind of really meaningful mother-son relationship between those two. But it was the beginning of God moving powerfully among his people. Because you remember little Samuel was sleeping, and the Lord he heard the Lord's voice, and he could hear it, but Eli couldn't. And Eli realized that this was the future. And Eli had other problems, but this was the future. And it was Samuel who anointed David as king over Israel. And all of this stuff happened because of one woman who was willing to say goodbye so that something new could start. And so her goodbye turned into an Alphiter saying that God would again be active in this world. And she gave up what she was given. The next is Elijah and Elisha. That's in 2 Kings. And I'm not going to read it. I was glad that that Jenny read it. But you remember this close relationship between these two men. And Elisha is not going to leave Elijah's side. Three chances he's given to to hang back. And yet he says, it's almost like Ruth and and Naomi. Like, wherever you go, I'm going to go. I'm going to go with you. I'm not going to be parted from you until I absolutely have to. And Elijah's cloak falls away from him. When this chariot of fire takes him up to heaven, Elisha takes that cloak. Literally, the mantle is passed, right? From one person to the next. So what's the ending of one person's ministry on this earth is a double portion, evidently, 
a double portion of his power goes to Elisha. And he goes off and has even more ministry in the world. And, and the proof of it is he takes this cloak and he performs the exact same miracle that Elijah had just done by parting the waters of the, of the uh, Jordan River and walking across on dry land. And so when things end, sometimes they begin again. And so I only have one more. Only one more. And this is one of the most poignant ones in the Bible. Um, it's from the Gospel of Luke, and some of you know this. It's about Simeon. Remember Simeon? He's waiting in the temple, waiting to see the Lord's anointed. He'd been waiting all his life. He's quite old at this point. All his life he's been waiting for the Messiah to, to appear, and now he could finally go. And this is what it says. Um, there was a, this is Luke. There was a man in Jerusalem whose name was Simeon, and this man was righteous and devout, looking for the consolation of Israel, and the Holy Spirit was upon him. And it had been revealed to him by the Holy Spirit that he should not see death before he had seen the Lord's Christ, or the Messiah, the Anointed One. And inspired by the Spirit, he came into the temple, and when the parents brought in the child Jesus to do for him according to the custom of the law, he took him up in his arms and blessed God and said, By the way, here, can you imagine an old man coming up to you and grabbing your kid, your eight-day-old kid, and saying, Praise the God! You know, like... Joseph and Mary knew they had a special child. Uh, or they thought maybe this man was a special man, right? But he grabs Jesus and holds him. And, and this is what, this is from the NRS, or the old RSV, because it has a little more oomph to it. This is what Simeon says in verse 29. Lord, now lettest thou thy servant depart in peace, according to thy word. For mine eyes have seen thy salvation which thou hast prepared in the presence of all peoples, a light for the revelation to the Gentiles and for glory to thy people Israel. And his father and his mother marveled at what was said about him, and Simeon blessed them and said to Mary, his mother, Behold, this child is set for the fall and rising of many in Israel and for a sign that is spoken against, and a sword will pierce through your soul also. that the hearts, the thoughts and hearts out of many hearts may be revealed. And so here we have this man waiting all his life. He's ready to say goodbye to his own life. But it's revealed to him by the Spirit that this child will yet appear in his life. And he gives a prophecy about Jesus to Jesus' parents. This child is going to bring about the rise and fall of many in Israel. And also, by the way, not something you want to hear as a mother a sword will pierce your heart as well. Mary was going to witness Jesus being crucified herself. And so when something ends and, and he says goodbye, Lord, let thy servant depart in peace, yet something new is happening. God is about something new in the world. He's about to, to do something big. And the biggest thing of all, he's about to bring about this thing that he promised to Adam and Eve in Genesis 3. It's all coming together now. That this is not goodbye. It's Alf Vieter saying. It's until we see you again. Because God is going to stay with his people. And keep bringing new things out of things that end. So all this to say. That I'm beginning to wonder. If God wants me. Me. To look at goodbyes a little differently. In life. Could they also be beginnings. Of new things. You know what I'm saying. We think of goodbyes as finalities, and sometimes with people they are. 
like with Orville. But yet there's something that I remember about Orville. It's not, he's not completely gone. It's not just that that I'm saying about. When I'm saying goodbye, I really want to be saying, God be with ye. I really want that to be the beginning of something, of God breathing into somebody else's life that I've had an interaction with. And I want to mean it. And I want to see when other people say goodbye to me, especially final goodbyes. And we, we, I know what we're talking about with final goodbyes, um, especially if it's somebody who's near the end and they say, you know, I'm not going to see you again. Um, I want those goodbyes to be a blessing to me. I want to receive them as a blessing that something new may start in me because God wants it to. So, you know, what can my goodbyes look like? I'm thinking about this. What can my goodbyes look like when I need to say these goodbyes? There's these moments in life where these goodbyes come. Could it be that I, I pass the mantle to somebody else? Is that the kind of goodbye I'm going to do? Or is it that I can depart in peace because God is now at work in the world and I, I don't have to sort of manage what's going on in somebody else's life anymore, but I can rest because something else is ready to start? Or can I say goodbye to someone or something that, that I'm entrusting into the Lord's care because it was a gift in the first place, or the, they were a gift in the first place, and I can't hold on to them. This idea of letting go of this thing that was, nonetheless was a gift, yet I know that if I set it free, it becomes something for God's service and a new beginning for them and for the world. Or could it be a charge and a commissioning to be guided by the word because I have finished and someone else can now take over? And so um, I, all I'm saying to myself here is I'm being asked, I believe, by God when I did this work to be more mindful in my goodbyes, both in giving goodbyes and in receiving goodbyes, mindful of what God wants to accomplish in them. And so... Listen, we're not going to get too many chances in a lifetime for these kinds of good goodbyes. I'm talking about big goodbyes. I'm not talking like, you know, you're going to see your coworkers on Monday. You're going to say goodbye on Monday afternoon. You're going to see them on Tuesday. I'm not talking about those goodbyes. I'm talking about when you send your kids to college, right? It's goodbye for a season, right? Or when somebody in your family is going to die, uh, with a parent or a friend is going to die, or when your time is closed when my time is close, at that time when I say to myself and I say to my family, I'm being poured out like a drink offering. I want those goodbyes to really mean something. I want the scriptures to show me what it makes, what it means to make a really good goodbye in that sense and be mindful of the new beginnings that are going to come as a result of it. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, thank you for your word. And we thank you that goodbyes are not the end for you, that they're also the beginning of new things. We thank you for your word that shows us this. And Lord, teach me and teach us to be mindful about when things end and when things begin. Amen.